you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Hey, friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash BP show. Patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It is cover-up time in the House of Representatives yet again. House Republicans trying to sweep everything under the rug. Don't let them get away with it. What do you say? Hello, everybody. On a Tuesday, March 13, how about it? Great to see you today, and welcome, uh, welcome to this daily edition of the Bill Press Show, coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio on Capitol Hill, right in the heart of the action, sitting here in the shadow of the Capitol Dome, as we like to say. We can see them from here, and they can hear us from just down the street. Lots to talk about today, and again, we put everything together about Five o'clock the afternoon before, we think we know where we're going with the show, who the guests are, what the topics are going to be, and then everything blows up as it did last night when this announcement came from Mike Conway, the chair, acting chair, uh, sort of fill-in chair of the House Intelligence Committee, that that committee was wrapping up its investigation of any possible collusion between Donald Trump and the Russians to influence the outcome of the 2016 election, and the Republicans unanimously, well, not unanimously, actually, but the Republican, most of the Republicans said, we found no evidence of collusion. Yes, of course they didn't, because they did not finish their investigation. But the Robert Mueller investigation continues, as does the Senate Intelligence Committee investigation, and nobody expected the House to come up with anything anyway. That's where we start off today. we got lots and lots to talk about. We're also going to tell you about uh, Betsy DeVos's a stunningly bad interview on 60 Minutes. Today's the day. Democrats and Republicans go to the polls in Pennsylvania's special election, Pennsylvania 18th Congressional District. And Donald Trump, 14 months later, makes his first visit to California. Yeah, why? Stay home. We'll get into all of that and look forward to hearing from you. Your comments welcome at any time on Twitter at BP Show. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories making news, Bill. I don't know if you knew this, but... I, I know everything. American Idol is back. No, is it really? Well, it left Fox, remember? Yeah, it was on yeah, Fox for yeah. years, and so ABC picked it up. So it came back, and it didn't do so well, Oh, by the way. It's the 16th season, and it came back to the lowest premiere ever 
for the show. The lowest premiere in the show's history. Now, it has different judges. Simon's not back. So it's it's Luke Bryan, Katy Perry, and Lionel Richie. Uh, these, none of them were judges when they were on Fox. Yeah. Uh, so it seems to have lost some of the... Uh, no, you know, it was, it was great when it was great. Sure. Was, I mean, you know, with uh, Simon and Paula and Randy. Randy? Yeah, that yeah. was great, that was great show. That was a long time, long ago. time ago. Yeah, so they tried to, br- tried to bring it back. Uh, overall, by the way, they said it was down 23% from its prior season, which which didn't happen. I mean, it happened back in yeah. 2016. Yeah. So you can't keep it going forever. You can't so. keep it going forever. I think that's 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 the best way to put it. By the way, we've stopped doing stories about how Oreo is is releasing new limited edition flavors yeah, right? they, no, because they're doing it all the time. No, no, because there's nothing like the old original Oreo. That's I, it. I don't disagree with you. Well, here's the thing. We might have to do the same thing with M&M's because M&M's, they are introducing three new flavors. Are you ready for these? Crunchy Espresso, Crunchy Raspberry, and Crunchy Mint. Now, here's the thing. These are limited edition and you can try all three, and then you vote via social media or text oh. which one you like the most. And whichever one gets the most votes, that one will stay. That will be a new permanent thing. I don't think any of those sound particularly... Maybe the espresso, but I'm... Maybe. I'm, you know, I'm for the good old, just right old, plain old M&M's. Plain M&M's or peanut M&M's? I like the plain. I like them both. Yeah. But I think anything beyond that... Yeah, don't mess with my M&M's and don't with... <laughs> By the way, I, I was just thinking, I haven't had an Oreo in a long time. Yeah? Yeah. Do we have any around here? <laughs> I wish we did. Yeah. I Come on, Ray. Did. Go get us a <laughs> bag of Oreos. <laughs> This is the Bill Press Show. It's another big cover-up in the House of Representatives. Yes, Republicans are eager to put the uh, whole question of Russian Russian interference in the election behind them. They don't even want to go there, and they gave Donald Trump a great big, uh, I don't know, Easter basket yesterday, ending their investigation, saying they found no evidence of collusion. Yeah, that 150 pages isn't worth the the paper it's printed on. What do you say, everybody? Great to see you on a Tuesday. Here we go, Tuesday, March 13. We got lots and lots to talk about here over the next couple of hours, so we're glad you're there. Thank you for joining us. As we come to you live all across this great land of ours with today's news and today's opinions and our great guests for today, Together with all of you, what a team that we make online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. You know where to find us. Go there, sign up, be part of the team. We're looking at you and joining you on Free Speech TV, the great Free Speech TV all across this uh, great land of ours. And so happy to be with you out through the state of Indiana on Indiana Talks. And mainly and most loudly in the greater Chicago area on WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago, where I'll be coming out on April 4, the big party at the Frugal Muse Bookstore in Darien, Illinois, for my new book, From the Left, Life in the Crossfire. Great lineup today. Zach Beecham from Vox will be joining us uh, to talk about whether or not we're actually going to see a summit in North Korea. Eugene Scott from the Washington Post will be here as a friend of Bill 
and he and I will be joined from uh, by uh, Andrew Desiderio from the Daily Beast. And don't forget, you are guest on the program every day. And the way you chime up and sound off is to send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Yes, indeed, we start with the House Intelligence Committee yesterday saying, well, we've looked at it. We spent 14 months. We interviewed some witnesses. We didn't find any evidence of collusion. That is our report. It's a 150-page report written entirely by the Republicans. Democrats didn't even know it was coming. They were totally blindsided. Uh, we were all kind of blindsided. Oh, by we were it. all kind of blindsided. <laughs> um, so there was no, you know, this was there was never an attempt to come up with a joint committee report. And we know this committee has been broken from the beginning. I mean, it never really got working together as a committee. Uh, thanks in, in in total to its first chairman, well, the guy who's still the chairman in title. Uh, Devin Nunez from California, who pulled this uh, incredibly um, and got caught at this incredibly stupid stunt where he announced one day that he'd he'd received all this incredible, damning information about the FBI wiretapping Trump Tower or eavesdropping on Trump Tower. And uh, he was going to run down to the White House and tell the White House everything he had found. And this was just world-shaking news. And it turned out that he was just going back to the White House, having a fake news conference to release some information that the White House had given him the day before at the White House. And they were playing all kinds of political games. It amounted to nothing except that Devin Nunez, um, caught in that trickery, was forced to resign his position as chair. And the committee has never really gotten anything done or accomplished anything ever since. And, of course, they found no collusion because... They weren't looking for it. They didn't want to find it. But you know what? So in their case, it's really uh, at the most a case of premature premature ejaculation. Uh, their their uh, commi- investigation certainly was not completed. But Robert Mueller just keeps boring on, baby. Yeah, he's looking at collusion. He's looking at obstruction of justice. And the Senate, Senate Intelligence Committee with some serious people over there, is also continuing to move right along. So we will not miss the games being played by the House Intelligence Committee, uh, which included, by the way, of course, the most recent set of games in the war over which memo was going to be released, the Republican memo, again, written by Devin Nunez, who was supposed to have been recused from this whole mess, or the Democratic memo, and and that whole mess. So nothing was going to come out of the House Intelligence Committee. Frankly, I think it's just as good that they pulled the plug. Sure. No, you know? I don't disagree with you at all. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny because I, I, I referenced this before, but a couple of weeks ago I, I, I binged through a podcast called Slow Burn, which is great. And it's all about uh, Watergate and how Watergate happened. And one of the things that I didn't necessarily realize, because I didn't live through it, but, you know, there was so much stuff happening that your brain just sort of had to tune some of it out to get to the bigger picture, right? Mm -hmm. But one of the things that was so interesting about it was how similar it was to what we're seeing today. The Republicans were, I mean, laying it all on the line to protect, protect, protect Richard Nixon. At all costs. 
right? And it was we were comp- they were completely blinded by party loyalty over anything else. Yeah, until John Dean testified. Until John Dean testified, right? Yeah. That, that was the thing. And, and, and yeah. but it also, I mean, it, it's a it's a fascinating listen, but it also sort of is depressing in the sense that like somebody has to break, and nobody's really broken yet. No. With, with Trump. On the Republican side. On the Republican no, side. No, no one's right. broken yet. Right. And until that happens, or until the Democrats oh. get some real power, this is just going to continue to happen. Totally. Totally. And by the way, nobody was more pleased, of course, to hear the report than Donald Trump himself, who tweeted out, uh, all in caps. Yeah. I, all in caps. Yes. All, yeah, all capital letters. Uh, the House Intelligence Committee has, after a 14-month-long in-depth in investigation, <laughs> found no evidence of collusion or coordination between the Trump campaign and Russia to influence the 2016 presidential election. Which, by the way, contradicts uh, the conclusion of 17, our 17 intelligence agencies, who said, without a doubt, Russia was interfering in our election for the purpose of helping Donald Trump. House Intelligence Committee report yesterday just contradicts that. It also contradicts the latest indictments by special counsel Robert Mueller of 13 Republicans indicted for doing what? For trying to influence the 2016 election in order to help candidate Donald Trump. So, I mean, this this whole thing is totally, totally bogus and meaningless And, yeah, let Donald Trump glory in it because it doesn't mean anything, and Robert Mueller is still going to drop the hammer. You know, there's something else to this, right, aside from just covering up for Trump. The Republicans, the House GOP, this intelligence committee, have now put themselves squarely against the intelligence community here in the United States. And, like— Donald yeah. Trump has done that. I, Donald, I was going to say Trump did that starting early yeah, on. Yeah, Trump has yeah. done that and, yeah. has, and has done that for a while. But I think that there was the ability to sort of say, well, Trump is going to be Trump, and Trump does his own thing, and Trump grandstands, and he bloviates, and all that type of stuff. But now you have the establishment. Right. right? It's not Trump anymore. Now you have the Republican Party has now put themselves in a corner against the intelligence community here in America. But there is one Republican we should uh, give him some credit uh, on the committee, Tom Rooney from Florida. I went on CNN last night with Aaron Burnett and said, yeah, he um, supported shutting down the investigation, but for different reasons. He supported shutting down the investigation because he, as a Republican, knew that the Republicans were not doing anything, were an embarrassment, were not doing their job, so they might as well throw in the towel. We've gone completely off the rails, and now we're just basically a political forum for people to leak information uh, to drive the day's news. So we've, as you you alluded to, we've lost all credibility, and we're going to issue probably two different reports, unfortunately. So in that regard, that's why I called for the investigation to end. Yep. He might (laughs) might as well end it. Might as well. Might as well, because we're not doing anything. So this doesn't really change anything, and it certainly does not impact Uh, the work that Robert Mueller uh, is doing. Uh, Meanwhile, um, today, today's a big day in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania 18, uh, looking pretty good for Connor Lamb. The latest poll, Monmouth University poll, uh, shows uh, Connor Lamb over Rick Saccone with a a six-point lead, 51 to 45. Again, all of our friends up there in Pennsylvania, get out, vote early, vote often, and vote for Connor Lamb and send Donald Trump and the Republicans a message. 
This is a very, very interesting race. First, first of all, it's a, remember, Donald Trump, this is a Republican district, gerrymandered by Republicans in Pennsylvania to always elect a Republican. So let's gird ourselves that if the Democrat does not win, it's not the end of the world. It doesn't mean the Democratic Party is losing ground. But Democrats do have a chance of picking up this seat because a couple of reasons. Number one, they got a lousy candidate in Rick Saccone. Rick Saccone, who said this morning that anybody who doesn't get this, here's his message. Anybody who doesn't vote for him, this is Rick Saccone, hates Donald Trump, hates the United States, and hates God. <laughs> yeah, yes. that's, that's his message going out there. If you don't vote for me, you hate Donald Trump, you hate the United States, and you hate God. That's the best they can do. And meanwhile, we got this decorated Marine, Connor Lamb, pro-union, uh, pro-working families candidate out there. Great young guy, great candidate, uh, again, who could very well win and is six points up. Um, other, thing, other thing gets to remember, again, Donald Trump, he's got himself, he's on the line here. This is like a referendum on Trump because he went up there Saturday night. He carried this district by over 20 points. Will his base stay with him for Rick Saccone? What is his staying power? What are his coattails? That's going to be up to watch in Pennsylvania 18 tonight. And also, it's interesting. We talked a little bit about this yesterday. So this race has been going on heavy duty now for the last couple of months. Republicans started out early in February. For two weeks, they ran nothing but ads about the tax cuts. And how these tax cuts, you got to vote for Rick Saccone because he supports Donald Trump's tax cuts. And these tax cuts are going to make your life better. And these tax cuts are what you've always wanted. Since the middle of February, there has not been a word. They suddenly dropped all the ads about the tax cuts because they found out people didn't believe it. People didn't care. Republicans, remember, they said, this is so funny that they had to pass that tax cut bill before the end of the year. They had to give the wealthiest people in America the 1% another tax cut because that was going to be their winning message in 2018. And here we go, the first test in 2018, and they tried out the tax cut message, and it bombed. And so they have completely dropped it. It has been radio silence on the tax cuts up in Pennsylvania 18. At the White House briefing yesterday, Sarah Huckabee Sanders trying her best to defend her boss. That's what she does, of course, every day. Um, Her boss, who totally, totally caved in on gun safety, gave that great big meeting at the White House, indicated he was going to buck the NRA. Remember, he said, you've got to be willing to take on the NRA. He ridiculed Uh, Pat Toomey from Pennsylvania because he says, you're afraid of the NRA. I'm not. I'm willing to take him on. I'll raise the age limit from 18 to 21 as if that's a big deal. I'll even consider a ban on assault weapons. And what did the White House finally come out with? The White House came out with nothing, forming a blue ribbon commission headed by Betsy DeVos to study the problem of school safety and maybe some incremental little tweaks to background checks Period. Period. That's it. No ban on assault weapons. No raising the age limit. Nothing that the NRA didn't like. Uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders says, oh, no, 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 no. 
Donald Trump's not backing away. He hasn't um, backed away from these things at all. As I just said, they're still outlined in the plan, but he can't make them happen with a broad stroke of the pen. Oh, oh. Really? Really? He signed a lot of crap (laughs) with a bold stroke of the pen. Sure did. Yeah, right? Um, And she says, this waffling and everything? No, this really amounts to great leadership. That actually seems smart, and it seems like bold leadership to me to push through on things that help protect kids while not ignoring some other policies that the president supports, which we're doing. She is honest to God. She's good at it. She's brazen, that's she for sure. She is totally brazen. I'm I mean, her, her, her she argument— say anything. Her yeah. argument yesterday, as we just heard, right, like someone yeah. asked her specifically— you know, the president said mm-hmm. that you've got to buck the NRA. Mm-hmm. You, you're too scared of the NRA. What is it? Can you point to anything in this gun legislation, this gun proposal, that the NRA would disagree with? And she said, essentially, well, they might change. Like, it might change. These things might change. Yeah. This is bold leadership. So it's kind of like, here's our plan. But you can't look at it for what it is because it might change. So you can't criticize what we've given you because that may not be the final thing. Yeah. Like if that if you if that's your your baseline for anything that you put out, you could never be criticized for anything ever. Of course, of course. And again, he's you know we're going to do all this stuff, and then he does nothing. And she says, "But that's bold leadership, recognizing that he can't get anything done." In fact, she went on to say, "What we're focusing on is." What is the most popular? Right now, the president's primary focus is on pushing through things that we know have uh, broad bipartisan support or things that we can do from an administrative perspective that we can do immediately. It's just, it's just double talk. But anyway, if, if you, she wants things that are popular, right, um, like 95 percent of the American people support background checks at gun shows. Uh, you know, like it's uh, it's way up there. I may have the numbers wrong, but it's way, way up there in the 80s, certainly uh, for universal background checks, for getting rid of cop killer bullets, um, for um, a ban on assault weapons. It's over a majority of Americans support ban- bringing back the ban on assault weapons that we had for 10 years. So if you're talking about popular measures, gun safety measures are popular with the American people. They're just not popular with the NRA leadership. So she's just talking in circles when it comes to that. I mean, it's, the reason- it's, it's the most cowardly, I think, performance we've seen from any president. And openly, openly cowardly, right? I mean, yeah. they can't even cover it up. It is so clearly what happened that we know that after that big meeting with those members of Congress where the president indicated he might be open to some things, he was just playing for the cameras. He has that secret meeting, private meeting with the leadership of the NRA in the Oval Office, and everything went south. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And yeah. it's it's so kind of amazing to me, right? Like, even on the raising the, the age requirement to get a gun, yeah. right, from 18 to 21, which we, which, which we all agree is pretty... Nothing. It's a pretty low bar to get over, right? Uh, she was asked about it yesterday and saying, you know, every thing that we see every poll says that at least 70 percent of americans support that and her answer was well we're not worried about all all the americans we're worried about the politicians that could get this done by the way she's reading that wrong uh, with all the uh, lack of respect i have for this congress particularly for the republicans they could get that through congress oh of course they could because again because it means nothing it's nothing right yeah 
Yeah, it's so. like literally the least they could do. Totally. Like they, and they could and, and and look. But by the way, I don't want to give them any political advice, but they could do that. And even the Republicans could tell their constituents, "Look, we did we, something. Right? We did something. You, you, you and, and, and like that does nothing. Right? But like they could point to that. Uh, and by the way, just let's not forget these great these great. And Mar- by March twenty four, March twenty four. Wherever you are, get out and march. March 24, March for Life. That's what it's all about. March to save our kids on March 24. I'm going to be out here in Washington, which will probably be the biggest march of all. Uh, and those kids from Stoneman High School have not gone away. Um, there was another town meeting yesterday, and uh, Cameron Kasky, um, one of the most outspoken of the students there uh, at uh, Stoneman High School, uh, said, what, arming teachers? No, teachers don't want this. I spoke to all of my teachers. Not a single one of them wants to pack heat. And every single one of them said that if somebody in their building was armed, they'd be out of there. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah. by, by so the way. What most teachers feel, of course they do. They want to teach. They don't want to be. Yeah, no, of course yeah. they don't. They don't want to have to have a gun. Uh, March 24th is the big march. But I didn't realize this until a couple of days ago. Tomorrow, March 14th, is a day that students are going to just walk out. Oh, really? Of school. Oh, cool. And I've actually gotten a couple of emails from this because I have a teenager, and he's in middle school, and he has been talking about walking out with his friends. And the school has made very clear that if he does do that, or if any student Mm -hmm. does that, and it's obviously going to be different around the country, but it's going to be an unexcused absence that will go, which... Who cares, right? Like, if you get another excuse absence, big deal. But they've also organized a lot of other I, things. I, I'd wear that as a badge of honor. Hell yeah. Yeah. yeah there was for, a, there was the a right cause. I, I hope he's not watching, right? Uh, but, it, like, but Gray asked me, he said, uh, you know, am I going to get in trouble for that? And it's just like, no. Yeah. <laughs> Walk yeah. out of school and come home. We'll go get ice cream. Whatever. Yeah. What do I care? Yeah. But but the, the, it, what's interesting is the schools recognize that this is a problem, right? Uh, school violence. And and so they've organized a day's worth of activities at mm. school. Mm-hmm. So there are there's a letter letter writing campaign, and I know it's different where, d- around the country, but they the cafeteria will be open. The kids can go and write a letter to their their member of Congress. Uh, they can write a letter to uh, Stoneman Douglas High School, That's cool. so they can read yeah. it. But like tomorrow is a big day of action just for students in America, which I mm-hmm. think is kind of cool. I think that is that's that's really great. But, you know, we, those of us who are concerned about the safety of our kids, particularly on school properties, um, we don't have to worry anymore because Betsy DeVos is on the case. Uh, Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, right. Uh, President uh, Trump uh, named a Blue Ribbon Committee headed by Betsy DeVos, who's going to study this problem of school safety as if we need more study and come up with some recommendations, which, of course, won't amount to anything and will be completely ignored, whatever they are. And we saw how smart Betsy DeVos is. Sunday night on 60 Minutes, <clears throat> boy, they ought to keep this woman behind <laughs> behind <laughs> closed doors in her office. She shouldn't be there in the first place. She is so in over her head, so clueless. It is pathetic. She's an insult to every American teacher. Uh, and you know, as a former teacher, I think teachers do the Lord's work and the, the, the most important work in this country every single day. God love them. But Betsy DeVos on with Leslie Stahl, and Leslie Stahl just grilled the hell out of her, and Betsy DeVos didn't know where to go. Listen to this little exchange. Now, this is a woman who has spent her entire career undermining public education in her home state of Michigan and has spent all of her fortune pushing charter schools and pushing legislation to take money away from public schools. She obviously does not 
have a clue about how schools are going in Michigan. This exchange with Leslie Stahl. Well, in places where there have been where there is a lot of choice that's been introduced, um, Florida, for example, the studies show that when there's a large number of students that opt to go to a different school or different schools, the traditional public schools actually the results get better as well. Now, has that happened in Michigan? Where in Michigan this is your home state? Michigan, yes. Well, there's lots of great options and choices for students here. Have the public schools in Michigan gotten better? Uh, I don't know. Overall, I (laughs) I I can't say overall that they have all gotten better. The whole state is not doing well. Well, there are certainly lots of pockets where the the, the students are doing Mm -hmm. well. But your argument that if you take funds away, Mm -hmm. uh, that the schools will get better is not working in Michigan, where you had a huge impact and influence over the direction of the school system here. I hesitate to talk about all schools in general because because schools are made up of individual students attending them. Yeah, dummy. Yeah, you didn't right. know that. Yeah. <laughs> As Dana Milbank says in the Washington Post this morning. Yeah, and brains are made up of individual brain cells too. <laughs> Uh, and Let's she, not talk about brains I, I, as a whole. No, no, not as a whole. Let's talk about yeah. the brain cells. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she's obviously lacking a lot of individual brain cells. Is that clip stunning? That's just stunning to me. Total. She is not a clue. And again, so then Leslie Stahl says, well, okay, you talked a lot about these bad schools. How many of those have you visited? The public schools here the, the, are the, doing worse than they did. Michigan schools need to do better. There is no doubt about it. Have you seen the really bad schools? Maybe try to figure out what what they're doing. I have not. I have not. I have not intentionally visited schools that are underperforming. Maybe you should. Uh, maybe I should. <laughs> maybe I should. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're only the secretary of education. Ah, it's one maybe of the. You should. It's one of the most embarrassing interviews. I'm, I'm sure the whole thing is up online. That uh, I've I've seen so many clips of it that that. Uh, uh, that that any cabinet member has ever given, right? And uh, apparently uh, lots of uh, second-guessing around the White House about what the hell this woman is doing there. Yeah, yeah. apparently the White House would not uh, return her calls or meet with her after this interview came out. They just were like, no. Yeah. Uh, one little uh, little one we have to get uh, the uh, latest on the Stormy Daniels is Stormy Daniels has now offered to return the $130,000 to the president. And said, uh, you, you know, I'll give you your money back, Mr. President or his attorney. I'll give you your money back uh, for, for the right to completely tell my story. By the way, I went online yesterday and read the original In Touch magazine story. Yeah. Hey, folks, there ain't no doubt what went on. No doubt what went on. Read the story. That's all I got to say. And that story was first published in 2011 and then totally forgotten about until last January, just a couple of months ago, when the Wall Street Journal resurrected it and brought it back uh, and and talked for the first time about the $130,000 in hush money that she was paid. Um, By the way, on on that front, there are a lot of people that have now gone back and looked at this agreement that Donald Trump never uh-huh. signed, yeah. right? this, hush, yeah. this hush money uh, agreement. Uh-huh. And essentially, there's some there's some language in there that makes it pretty clear that Stormy Daniels has more than just a story to tell. She has tapes, pictures, pictures tapes, tapes, texts, things like that, and those are worth a lot more than one hundred thirty thousand dollars. So, 
if she is going to get out of this, mm-hmm. we might see some stuff that, uh, God help yeah. us, he really wants to see, but we might see them. Story certainly is not going away. Uh, and speaking of bargains, uh, a lot less $130,000. Hey, how about it? You know what I did yesterday? I sat down. I told you I had 20 boxes of books delivered to the house from, from uh, all of you who have bought already a signed copy, uh, ordered a signed copy of my new book, From the Left, Life in the Crossfire. comes out a week from today. Uh, but we got the books now. I'm signing them like mad. They'll get out to you right away. So go to our website. If you haven't already ordered your copy or copies, go to the website, BillPressShow.com. Uh, it's a great rom- read, I think, a great romp through my life so far. Uh, all the good fun from working for Jerry Brown to uh, doing Crossfire on CNN, helping get the Bernie Sanders campaign started, and, of course, our program here for the last 12 years. Life in the Crossfire from the left, special price sixteen seventy nine, which is a 40% discount. Go to our website, BillPressShow.com. Order your copy today. Quick break. We'll be back with uh, Zach Beecham from Vox. This is the Bill Press Show. And here we are on this uh, Tuesday, March 13. Um, good to have you with us, folks. And thank you for joining us. As we boom out to you coast to coast from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., brought to you today by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union. Yes, indeed, the hard-working men and women of the UFCW. Under President Mark Perrone, a proud union family that feeds, serves, and provides for all of America's hard-working families. We salute them, thank them for their support of the program. We've been at it here for a little over a half hour on the headlines of the day and uh, always enjoy your take on what's going on, Peter. A couple of comments from Twitter, where we are on there, at BP Show, at BP Show. Make sure you're following us uh, about a number of things that we were talking about uh, earlier in the show. Uh, Joey Olivia says about Betsy DeVos, Betsy, are you really in charge of educating our children? Holy crap. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, it is true. Also, uh, NC Nomad about Sarah Huckabee Sanders. How can she live with herself? She is like a cartoon character. Uh, and also another uh, commenter about the House announcement says some say that this announcement was timed perfectly for the Pennsylvania election. If you have a comment on any topic at any time, just reach out to us at BP Show. Oh, yeah. I you know, That's not a crazy conspiracy theory. But it was 150 pages, kind of hard maybe to uh, to, to ramp up uh, with that precise timing. But uh, who knows? Um, one other um, issue that came up at the briefing yesterday, uh, at the, a big question, because it was last Friday when uh, Donald Trump staged this announcement that there was going to be a summit meeting with uh, the head of North Korea, Kim Jong-un, and then they started kind of backing away. Well, maybe there will be, maybe there won't be, depending on the conditions. Sarah Huckabee Sanders telling reporters yesterday, uh, yes, indeed, we are still on track. We fully expect that it will. The offer was made and we've accepted. Uh, North Korea made several promises, and if we hope that they would stick to those promises. And if so, the meeting uh, will go on as planned. So, if so, the meeting will go on as planned. Zach Beecham covers foreign affairs for Vox and joins us in studio. Will there be a summit or not? 
Uh, Bill, I wish I knew if I did. <laughs> I could, uh, you'd be a rich man on the betting markets. Look, I, I don't know. My guess your gut is yes. My gut says yes. And the reason why is that the president seems to be personally really invested in this, the way he's tweeting and talking about it. He sees this as, as like a really important thing that he's done that no one else could do. Right. Um, what's the quote from one North Korea expert? It's like Nixon goes to China if Nixon was an idiot. Um, <laughs> That's yeah, Jeffrey Lewis at Monterey who who, who wrote <laughs> yeah. that. Um, but I think that the president really, uh, really does want this to happen, and his aides are leerier about it. I mean, they didn't play much of a role in making it happen, so I can see why they'd be leerier about but it. But the way it came about, right? I mean, in the past, the meetings like this have a huge importance. There are all kinds of preliminary meetings and conversations and talks about what could possibly be accomplished, and there's some some preliminary agreements before they bring the big dog in, right? Yeah. But this is the big dog saying, I'm coming, and then you figure out what we'll talk about. Yeah, let's right? just sit down and chat, two guys. I mean, yeah, it's, right. it's not how diplomacy works, to put it mildly. It's, it's the reverse, right? As you said, you have all these preliminary meetings, and the real bitter and divisive work, the things that really bridge gaps between countries that have issues, that's usually done at a lower level. And then it's okayed at the highest level. So could he get out of it? Could Trump get out of it at this point? Or is he too invested? Oh, I mean, there are plenty of ways that he could get out of it if he wanted to. He'll get out of it. I mean, if he wanted to, you're absolutely right. He'll come up with something. Yeah, it's easy with North Korea, right? This is a country that uh, is arguably, and I think pretty persuasively, the most brutal and vicious le- country on the earth, right? right. Like they, yeah. The way in which they treat their own people is almost uncon- almost impossible to imagine. Mm-hmm. And so at any point, you could cite anything that North Korea does in the intervening two months like, what, before they're supposed to like do it. Maybe murdering his uncle. So, uh, for example. <laughs> but, like, the White House has already sort of laid the groundwork for backing out of this. Whether they do or not, I don't know. I have a feeling that they will back out of it. But, uh, you know, by saying we're going to meet with them if they meet certain conditions and here's what those conditions are. Well, that's not really diplomacy and that's not really what it is that was announced, right? They said that they had extended the invite to Donald Trump and he has accepted and so then the White House had to put this whole other thing in place of, well, they have to agree to these specific things. So, But, like, the cat's already out of the bag. It's just sloppy. But they also – he also said we're going to meet before May, right? So, I mean – Yeah, the plan. Six weeks left. Yeah, the plan was, was May or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they didn't – some of them said there might be preconditions, but the president didn't, and the invitation didn't seem attached to preconditions. And North Korea has already done – or claim to do certain things. We'll see if they actually do it, right? right? Like, they've said they will stop testing missiles and nuclear weapons until the negotiations. They won't get agitated about U.S.-South Korea military exercises, which are coming up, I believe, in later this month. Uh, could be next month, too. Um, you know, it's... It, it, we'll see if they follow through on those things. If they don't, obviously, that's grounds for counseling the negotiations. But if you want a pretext, it's not hard to find one. What was funny is just a week or so ago at the gridiron dinner, uh, the president made the remark that uh, there's some we may be getting close to um, some sit down talks with North Korea. Uh, And he said, but of course, there's a certain risk involved that would that the risk would be sitting having to sit across the table with a madman. 
Uh, but he said, of course, that's Kim Jong-un's problem, not mine, <laughs> which everybody laughed at. It was a funny line. Little do we know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, we're, we're, we'd be there a couple of days later. A little right? too real. That, yeah, that yeah. cuts kind of close to home. Yeah, I yeah, know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a joke in a draft of piece that was a draft of the piece. This is obviously not going to be published because I don't actually mean it. But it was something like it was unlikely that these two men, uh, one who is uh, a hawkish authoritarian and the other who is Kim Jong Un, would <laughs> but, ever yeah. sit down and meet. But like, yeah. Here well, it is. And I like that, you know, you say things like that jokingly, but it is crazy to imagine that this guy who's brought us closer to war with North Korea than any president since, well, Dwight Eisenhower, who actually ended the war with North Korea, that, that he's the one who's the first one who's going to sit down with the North Korea. It's later. like if you could pick out the two most unstable, most uh, unqualified, most unfit leaders in the world, certainly Kim Jong un and Donald Trump, and then put them together. Across the table? God forbid what could happen. Well, and the other crazy thing is that Kim Jong-un is actually substantially more aggressive in the way that he's behaved than the prior two North Korean leaders. And, like, nobody sat around being like, oh, Kim Jong-il, what a great guy, right? It's just yeah. that he alternated his patterns of aggression with diplomatic reach out. And in the past several years of Kim Jong-un's leadership, there had been none of that. He'd been testing missiles at a higher rate than either of his predecessors. It's not even close, actually. If you look at the data, Kim Jong-un tested as many missiles last year as his predecessor did mm -hmm. in roughly in, his entire time. Right. As, that's roughly 20 years as North Korea's supreme leader. And that is a testament to his overall approach towards the South and the United States. Well, we don't have to worry much uh, anymore about um, the... Uh, whether Donald Trump is flying alone or flying solo, because it's rumored that John Bolton, in fact, you've been writing about that John Bolton, uh, who's been rejected how many times for secretary of state, right, by George W. Bush and by, no, Bush made him, ended up making him a U.S. ambassador or uh, our ambassador to the U.N., right? That's right, yeah. yeah. Though, yeah. But he's really wanted to be secretary of state. Yeah, he has, so he's he, in waiting for what job? Do you think so? Right now, the the theory is that he is going to take H.R. McMaster's job. We're not really sure about that. There are some other more boring candidates. One guy who is a Bush era person whose name I can't remember right now because he was boring. But this presumes that McMaster is out. Yes, and so that. You know, you hear reporting, some of which suggests that John Kelly is going to go. Some says Rex Tillerson's going to go. Some says H.R. McMaster is going to go. And these rumors have been swirling around for a while. But with Gary Cohen leaving, it seems a lot more credible now. Uh, it seems like we need to take this seriously, especially since on the same night that Gary Cohen left, John Bolton showed up at the White House to meet with the president in the Oval Office. And, you know, one expert I spoke to termed it most likely a job interview and then hmm. said that the second job interview was John Bolton's appearance on Tucker Carlson's show later that night because, you know, the bigger interview for you with the president is how you look on TV. Right. Um, so my guess is Bolton really is in consideration. He was rumored to be a secretary of state pick early on in the administration, right. though. Get this. The reason that he was eliminated, apparently, is that Trump doesn't like mustaches. Huh. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, now I'm just trying to think, looking through the cabinet, does anybody have a mustache in the cabinet? Sub Gorka had, had the facial hair thing. That's true, but he wasn't in the cabinet. Yeah, true, yeah. true, true. Yeah. yeah, I don't think anybody in the cabinet does have Didn't uh, last long. No. facial hair. Nope.
Nope. Apparently, according to this, this piece in the Washington Post from the early And he's got a stash, too. Bolton. Bolton? I mean, oh, yeah. Oh, he's got the Bolton. ultimate mustache. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's great. It's really... John Bolton and I agree on, on nothing about world politics, but <laughs> I'm really envious of that stash. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. He's the guy that wanted to lop off the top five floors of the UN or something? Top 10. Top 10. Top 10. That was, was that the right? joke, yeah. Yeah. He said, get rid of the top 10 floors and no one would notice. <laughs> um, he did that in between uh, bouts of harassing his employees. Not not sexually, as far as we know, but he was a really vicious boss, Pirate. Yeah, is, is the report. He would yell at people. He would insult people based on their appearance and sexual orientation. One woman... He uh, or suspected sexual orientation, I should say. One woman reported um, that Bolton followed her around a hotel in Moscow, screaming at her and throwing stuff at her. And then when she hid in her hotel room because she was, you know, understandably upset about this man with a huge mustache chasing her around a hotel, um, he pounded on the door and slipped hate notes under her door for several days. Um, that and he brought this pattern of management into the White House. Well. Into, into, the, into Foggy Bottom yeah, and in the Bush administration. And it's one of the main reasons why even in a Republican-controlled Senate in 2005 when he was appointed, he couldn't make it through. There were just too many reports of his abusive behavior in addition to extreme policy references. Well, it sounds like he's made to order for the Trump administration. Oh, can you imagine him getting angry at Trump? Although the the line from somebody who worked with him at the State Department, a guy named, named Carl Ford, was John Bolton kisses up and punches down. Right, that he's just exceedingly deferential to the people who uh, are in charge of him, and incredibly cruel to the people right. who work for him. So, uh, re- not getting the cart before the horse here, but is are the rumors about Masterson? Do you think um, real, and we could see a change there? Yeah, uh, the sense that I have, and not based on like talking to any of the principals here, but the sense that I have based on reports out of the White House and the people I do talk to is that Trump and McMaster have never gotten along. Mm-hmm. McMaster is a kind of military intellectual. Uh, he shares some of Trump's hawkish instincts, especially in North Korea, but they're temperamentally very different. And he's someone who pays a lot of attention to detail, um, kind of a sort unlike, of policy expert. Unlike Donald Trump, and that Trump doesn't have much patience for him. Right. That's what, yeah, that's what I've been told, too. Yeah, Trump Trump finds well, him boring. Right. So, meanwhile, um, I, it's interesting. I was at lunch yesterday um, with a foreign diplomat, or, and um, the subject came up about some area from Eastern Europe he was working on, and... Uh, uh, what 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 could he do about this? And the third person who was at lunch said, well, shouldn't you be in touch with Secretary Tillerson? And he said, Tillerson? He said, Tillerson's MIA, and he has been for over a year. Is that your sense? I mean, we know that when Donald Trump said, I'm going to meet with Kim Jong-un, Tillerson was not involved. He wasn't informed. He wasn't even in the country. He was in Africa, wasn't part of the conversations. So is he a player at all as Secretary of State? And how long will he last? Uh, you know, that's a good question because if I were to be uh, a betting man and I were to be betting throughout this administration on who would have left, I would have picked Tillerson to go six months ago. So I don't even know yeah. if my sense about this is good anymore because it really does seem like he's been out of the policy conversation. You know, just he, he, yeah, he just he, he doesn't do anything. He 
gutted his department. He forced a lot of important people to leave, not because he was like, you're fired, but because he was so bad at managing the department and so interested in pushing for cuts to his own budget, which if you know anything about people who run departments, they never want that. Yeah. Ever. No. Um, There's a weird thing going on, right? Like, I'm not one that buys into the whole... You know, the Russians are taking over the government thing. I think the Russians definitely had a hand in the, in trying to influence the election. But there's that story that came out that the Russians uh, shot down the idea of Mitt Romney as Secretary of State, right? And Rex Tillerson hasn't done anything that would make Russia mm-hmm. mad, right? And we know that he has a lot of ties to Russia and all of that stuff. So maybe there's something there in the sense that, like, he just— He's just a figurehead and nothing else. Like, he doesn't want this job. He doesn't need this job. I don't think... It's almost like we don't have a Secretary of State today. Yeah. Yeah, I I think it's more more that. Less, you know, Tillerson is Vladimir Putin's buddy and plant in the administration. Um, And more, he's kind of checked out. He just, I, I don't, I honestly don't know what he does all the time. I don't think I, he checked in. I don't in. know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. You gotta check, to check out, you have to check in at first. But certainly he's not the Secretary of State that we saw with a Hillary Clinton or a John Kerry. No. Who were very much leading the pack and on the road and major meetings and, and you know, and working very closely with the president. Yeah, um, there's, there's sort of two models, right, of how to be a good Secretary of State. One of them is you really work hard to advocate for diplomacy and for the building that is foggy bottom and and try to get a lot of support for it. And that way you can, in the long run, strengthen U.S. diplomacy and in general push for diplomatic solutions to problem. And I think that's closer to what Clinton did. Mm -hmm. And the second one is to do what Kerry did, uh, which is use your position to try to personally hammer out accomplishments. The Iran deal and... Uh, the Israel Palestine, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pale, pale, well, that failed. But those two things uh, were really exemplars of the Secretary of State taking on a personal and largely diplomatic role. Right. Uh, on the foreign policy uh, front, this does not impact us, but it is a big story that um, the Prime Minister of England yesterday, Theresa May, came out and really flat out accused Russia, then the Russian government, of poisoning this. Russian diplomat on British soil. This is the second time this has happened using this deadly poison, which I understand is only um, uh, available or developed by the Russian army. You know, they've got it. And um, uh, so she's accusing of a murder and basically gave Putin, I don't know, 24 hours to to fess up and raise the possibility of some retaliation by England. Yeah. From what I understand, the way in which the poisoning was conducted uh, it doesn't just hit one person, or at least it doesn't necessarily yeah, his just His daughter, hit one too, was with him, right? I think. Yeah, yeah. It, did, it did get his daughter, but it also had the potential to affect 500 people who are in the radius oh, of the whoa. area in the UK that was targeted. Yeah. I don't know how many people, if yeah. any of them were actually hit. It might be none mm-hmm. of them. But the estimates I've suggested is that this stuff is not, you know, it's not like you put a shot into somebody and yeah. then it just, yeah. that's it. It's, it's mm. in their body. Um, and so that's a risk that the Russians took. And it's a risk that you take when you want to send a message. And the message is we can hit anyone anywhere. It's not – if they wanted to be subtle, they could have done lots of different things. There are many ways to kill somebody that are not so obvious or so overt or with such potential catastrophic side effects. Um, 
and and this is this is that. So I don't think Putin's going to do anything, apologize. But it is pretty brazen. And that earlier poisoning, I think, was proven, right, to have been Russian agents. Oh, yeah. At this point, the other, uh, that was a Russian spy who defected. Yeah. Yeah, They put, this guy too, actually, was a double agent. Um, They put polonium in his tea, which is a radioactive element. It was pretty hard to imagine anybody else doing that. Um, I believe this one, by the way, was injected in an umbrella. Or used an umbrella was the agent of delivery. So umbrella and tea poisonings. It's really very British, the entire thing. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I, I don't know what the UK is going to do now. Uh, imagine if if this were happening in the United States under a different administration. That would be grounds for war. If yeah. the Russians poisoned someone and had and might have hit five hundred U.S. citizens, uh, we would we would be taking that very seriously. In this administration, who knows? But Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't, I don't know. I but don't just know the idea that England has become this killing field for, um, for for Russia. You know, and um, who knows, who knows where that could lead. And I the know. White House didn't even address no. it. No, I mean, they, they didn't even want to talk about no. it. They, they've right. said nothing, which I find astonishing. Well, um, there, there, there's no way they're gonna. He's going to say anything impolite or critical of Vladimir Putin. Period. We've seen that already. I mean, look. Everything that Putin has done. Yeah, I mean, I just mean sort of astonishing in the in the arc of history sort of way, right? Like there's sometimes yeah. when you have to say, okay, so this might be normal for Donald Trump, but in terms of the way that the world should be operating and the way that it has in the past, this still is surprising. The phrase, I forget who coined it. I think it, it was a columnist at the Washington Post who said "State, you have to stay shocked during this administration even when the shocking becomes the routine. And this is a good example of that, right? Mm-hmm. In any other administration, this would be a major crisis with one of America's closest allies being essentially right. hit by a terrorist attack, if you think about that. Sure. Again, that's another useful comparison. If these were Islamist terrorists, oh, yeah, yeah. Trump would be yeah. going nuts. Can yeah. you imagine? Right. I can, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we saw what happened when the, the, the last time uh, the guy running the, the, the truck or something on the sidewalk and, and Trump attacked the mayor of London and... And the London and the British police, you know, for not doing more to protect the citizens of London, said nothing about this at all. Oh, I was, I was actually in London I, I have to that. ask you about what, what is the impact, do you think, overall of, um, if any, of the uh, decision by the House Intelligence Committee yesterday to you know, announce an end to their investigation, having found no collusion at all between the Trump team and Russians? I mean, this is comical, right? So they didn't interview... George Papadopoulos, Paul Manafort, Rick Gates, or Michael Flynn. They didn't interview them at all. At all. (laughs) Three out of those four people have pled guilty in the Mueller probe. George Papadopoulos is the source of a tremendous amount of knowledge that we have about what actually happened when it comes to this whole collusion setup. And you didn't interview any of those people? They barely used their subpoena power relative to what they could. There's they they've tried to compel relatively little from the White House. There's been no adversarial relationship between the production of this report and Donald Trump's own uh, sort of position on the Russia probe. Mm-hmm. This is a whitewash. Uh, there's there's no other way to describe it. It's an abdication of responsibility by uh, by the House Intelligence Oversight or House Intelligence Committee, and this is exactly what the Democrats on the committee are saying. Right? They're saying we you didn't interview all these people. We're going to try to. We might put out a counter report. So no Manafort, no Flynn, no Papadopoulos, no 
No gates. No gates. Yeah. And so, like, other than that, how's the play? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it is a joke, the whole thing, right? And uh, uh, But in the end, I'm not sure what difference it'll make because they weren't going to find any collusion. Anyhow, they were, they were, they'd they go out of their way not to find any. So right, it's just hey, an exemplar of how much the Republican Party. That has was collapsed. a good, uh, good ramp, romp through the foreign policy. Thank you, Zach, so much. Follow him at Vox.com. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. We didn't find any evidence of conclusion, says the House Republicans. Yeah, that's because they weren't looking for any signs of collusion. What do you say, folks? Great to see you today on a Tuesday, Tuesday, March 13. Hello, 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 and welcome. Welcome to the program. Uh, It's called The Bill Press Show. That's me. We are looking at you live coast to coast. Uh, with all the news of the day, whether it's happening here in Washington, D.C., around the country, around the globe, we've got it covered. We'll tell you what's going on. And all we ask of you is that you tell us what you think about what's going on. Be part of the conversation. Sending us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show, with all the news of the day. And uh, as always, we try to button down the show about 5 o'clock the day before, go over the guests, the topics we're going to talk about and then that's it until the next morning. But it is never that way anymore because right after 5 o'clock, again, big story breaks with this House Intelligence Committee pulling the plug on their investigation. So much news to get through this morning. We need a little help to do so. We've got it in the person of Eugene Scott, who is a political reporter for The Fix at the Great Washington Post. Hello, Eugene. Good morning. Good to see you. You as well. Ready to go? I am ready to go. Trying to keep up with you. (laughs) (laughs) You got to run fast, man. But it is true, right? This news cycle just never stops. Yeah, I actually woke up to a text from my boss that she sent after I fell asleep about stories I need to work on today. And, uh, yeah, that is pretty much what covering Trump's Washington is like. Um, we saw last night with uh, the report uh, coming from the Republicans on the House committee. Everyone's, of course, focused on this race in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, people are still unpacking comments made this weekend from Clinton and Trump about 2016 uh, becoming public. Uh, yeah. So there's a lot happening constantly. So all of that, there's just a few of the stories that we'll be touching on again with you. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. We'll jump right into it with Eugene Scott. But first... This is the Give full Peter here. Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. You know, one thing that will never change, no matter how the news cycle progresses, is lawmakers really love lobbyists. The, the latest example of that happened in Des Moines, Iowa, where the majority leader of the Iowa Senate, a man by the name of Bill Dix, well, he had to resign because he was caught on camera 
making out with a female lobbyist in a bar really close to the Capitol, by the way. Yeah, so after a session, he went over to a bar, sat at the bar, and uh, there was a young female lobbyist that was sitting next to him, and they started kissing. Someone caught it on camera. Of course, he is married. So he resigned yesterday. He submitted a one-sentence resignation letter. That would never happen in Washington. No, of course not. Never, ever, ever. Mm -hmm. Good point. Uh, We should point out, by the way, that he is a Republican, Senator Bill Dix from Iowa. Uh, By the way, yesterday, uh, speaking of former politicians, former governor of California, Arnold Schwarzenegger is back in the news. He gave an interview to Politico's Off Message podcast with a friend, uh, Edward Isaac Dovier. Uh, He said that he is going to sue oil companies. He says that the reason is, quote, they are knowingly killing people all over the world. He says that the oil industry is no different different than the uh, smoking industry, the tobacco industry. He said, quote, the tobacco industry knew for years and years and years and decades that smoking would kill people, would harm people and create cancer. They were hiding that fact from people and denied it. This is no difference in the oil. Uh, there's no difference in the oil industry. So oh. he says, you know, look, they're the Terminator. The Terminator is... On the road, huh? Yeah, yeah. And, and and what he points to in this uh, interview, what he talks about is it's because of fossil fuels. He says that, like, they've been looking mm. at the damage that fossil fuels have been causing to the environment, and it's been so bad for so long that they've just covered it up, and now's the time somebody did something about it. Good for him. Yeah. 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 Hasta la vista, baby. Hasta la vista, baby. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. And what do you say? On a Tuesday, March 13, hello, everybody. Great to see you. Welcome back to The Bill Press Show. We are coming to you live from our nation's capital. That's Washington, D.C. And we're located right in the heart of the action on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., in the shadow of the Capitol Dome, keeping our eye on what's going on on Capitol Hill and down at the White House uh, and all across the country and around the globe, bringing it to you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. On, uh, don't forget, our podcast, always any time of day, you can check in, watch the entire show or the most important parts of the show uh, by just going to our website, billpressshow.com. Also joining you on Free Speech TV, Coast to Coast, and out in the greater Chicago area on the progressive voice of Chicago, WCPT. In studio with us here as a friend of Bill for the entire hour, Eugene Scott comes to us from the Washington Post. Hello, Eugene. Thanks for having me. So a stormy weather in the the Northeast, and Stormy doesn't seem to want to go away. Yesterday, Stormy Daniels saying... I'll give you your $130,000 back if you just let me talk. And and I didn't find that surprising, did you? No. 
Yeah, I mean, I think we've seen reports from her lawyers suggesting that at least 10, if not more people have offered her a million dollars to tell more of her story. So there's money to be made. We know that she's like selling out uh, clubs around the country to perform. Yeah, uh, make America horny again. Yeah, she she is. She is. Which I, is a real shame because that was what Bill was going to name his book to her. <laughs> it's, you can do exclamation point. And yeah. There you go. There you yeah, go. Yeah. So, yeah, I I mean, like $130,000 is just nothing no. at this point. Right. Uh, but it does seem to be, I, I, the way I see it, I think Donald Trump, in terms of self-promotion, uh, has met his match in mm-hmm. Stormy Daniels, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. uh, he's been able to dismiss all these other allegations, which were, she's not out alleging sexual abuse. Right. She's just alleging an affair. Right. But he's been he's managed to get to sweet get the, all those others out of the way by just denying it and calling them liars and everything. But she has a way of st- sticking to her story that doesn't yeah. seem to. She's not so easy to dismiss. I guess. Well, because right? there's so many different parts of her story and there are different entry points depending on what you care about. So the more serious of us really is paying attention to the campaign finance law violations. And that is an issue. And then there's obviously the gossipy part about it. That's really fascinating that this individual um, and the narrative behind it and all of the details, um, it's it's interesting. I mean, we have not seen, um, we've seen our share of political affairs in in this country, but nothing like this in terms of a a thrice married law uh, politician having an affair allegedly right after the birth of his youngest child and still winning the evangelical vote somehow. And so people are just really interested in what's happening. So that, I, that, that part of it, by the way, is yeah. interesting. And I find that to be kind of fascinating. The But, you know, he is who he's always been right. in that sense, right? Like right. that part is not shocking to me. I find it kind of interesting, yeah. but I don't think it's shocking. It's not shocking. And I think it's the details that make it interesting. Yeah. It like... J- Trump having an affair, that's not breaking news. But, like, the details of it, the, the what allegedly happened that was, like, careless and public and, and some you know, some of the the uh, allegations, right. yeah. Uh, paying $130,000 10 days before the election for president is news. But yeah. uh, you're right. So yesterday, as part of my uh, the assiduous research that I do for this show every day. Okay. Uh, I went back and I read the original In Touch magazine yeah. mm-hmm. article, mm-hmm. that uh, interview with her back in 2011. Okay. Uh, and, you know, it didn't get much attention at the time, right. I think for, and you alluded to this, mm-hmm. for the obvious reason. One, she's a porn star. And two, he's Donald Trump. Trump is Trump. And so yeah. Trump is Trump, you know. But if anything jumped out at me at that from that article, it was her line where she said, I could describe his junk perfectly if I had to. Wow. Wow. Well, hopefully she won't have to publicly. <laughs> that, let's and, hope so. Yeah, and I, and I <laughs> hope I don't have to I write think, about it. Yeah, that's yeah. That was, that sort of, to me, I thought that was sort of sending a warning yeah. sh- shot across his bow, right, yeah. so to speak, at the White House. I right. do remember um, there was a moment right oh, after God, that. Where are we? The Access Hollywood tapes came out, and I was writing about it, and I remember thinking— uh, this is probably the most not safe for work presidency or election I've covered in a while. Like to the point, like when you have to, when you're doing your research, that whole article would have come up in your Google in any workplace saying, don't click on this. But it has to be clicked on because it's our job at this point. Yeah, yeah. indeed. So you've been you've uh, caught up with a character 
that we uh, sort of had forgotten about here in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. uh, by the name of Steve Bannon. Who, sure. Uh, when he uh, left the White House, Donald Trump said he not only lost his job, he lost his mind. Yeah, he did. Right. He did. And what's he up to now? He's he's sort of decided to conquer uh, Western Europe, huh? Yeah, I mean, he's on a, a tour of, of global uh, populism and looking at nationalism in various countries. He's uh, what's in France this past weekend. He's been in Italy. And, you know, I think people are uh, doing themselves a disservice in downplaying his influence still in the U.S. Um, there are people who got on the Trump train because Steve gave them a ticket. And I think to think that the message that he was able to introduce to the White House, one that was really rooted in uh, nationalism and some would say ethnocentric nationalism, it's still popular with a lot of people in Trump's base. And so I think they still are uh, paying attention to him. And I think a perfect example of that is this past weekend, he was speaking in France at the French National Party Mm -hmm. at a gathering. Mm -hmm. Um, And and the niece... Yeah. The, the niece of a very influential national uh, front leader just spoke at CPAC here in the U.S. Um, just a month ago. And it, and obviously, you don't want to downplay the influence of CPAC. And if you do, you need to be reminded that Donald Trump himself spoke there. And so uh, this I, the ideas that Bannon's champions still command a lot of attention from uh, American conservatives. Is he still close to Trump? Do we know? Well, Trump always denied that he remained in uh, close contact. I have a feeling. I bet you they still talk. Yeah, I would. I it's you cannot believe, with all due respect, that Trump's not talking to someone just because he says he's not talking to them. Yeah, yeah, and so and even if he isn't talking directly to Trump, the idea that he doesn't have other lines in the White House or close to Trump is just not one I would support. So, uh, from what we've read, and these are all public appearances in in Europe. I mean, Bannon basically said. Yeah, they'll call you a racist, but so what, right? right? Just continue doing what you're doing, and they'll call you a nationalist or whatever. And Yeah. Uh, but you can be anti-Muslim, anti-people of color, anti-women. I mean, the whole thing, this is, our, this is who we are, right? He told them to embrace being called racist, and, and that was a bit alarming. The whole idea that this is a, a title that you should cling to and accept is actually one that Trump himself hasn't even uh, accepted. Obviously, people have been calling a Trump racist for at least 40 years, people have always liked to say that these allegations didn't come up until the election, but that's ab- absolutely oh, not yeah. true. Yeah. Right. Um, but even Trump, when when uh, confronted with the ideas that his ideas are racist, he always says, I am the least racist person. Um, we have polling supporting that mm-hmm. the majority of Americans actually think he is racist, and the majority of Americans actually think race relations have gotten worse since Obama left the White House, and they think they've gotten worse because Trump has been in the White House, backed in part by Steve Bannon's philosophy. So the idea that uh, Bannon could say this is something that you should cling to when many people historically view being called racist something as a social faux pas um, was was I think disheartening to a lot of people. Eugene Scott with us from the Washington Post, WashingtonPost.com. One person who is um, doesn't hesitate to call Donald Trump a racist uh, is Congresswoman Maxine Waters. Sure. Uh, but, of course, Donald Trump has thrown a lot of trash at her, too. Uh, I was at the Gridiron Dinner and— uh, the, Mr. Fancy Pants over here. There we are. <laughs> Do you want to see a picture of me in my white tie? But I—anyhow— uh, <laughs> um, it cost me a lot of money to rent that right t- white tie, too. But um, he was riffing, and this wasn't in his prepared remarks, and he, re- and he mentions Maxine Waters. Mm-hmm. You know, Maxine Waters, yeah, she should have to take an IQ test mm-hmm. or something. But mm-hmm. 
So, um, but Maxine, Maxine's been firing back lately, right. huh? Yeah, and, and to be fair, I think Maxine Waters attacks Trump way more than Trump attacks Maxine Waters. I think you're right. Yeah. But she always uh, mentions yeah. why she's attacking him. She says uh, she was attacking him most recently um, calling for his impeachment based on the Russia investigation. She always points to things saying, this is why I think he's disqualified. This is also why I think he should be in jail. This is why I think he is wrong on policies. Trump was just like, this person's not smart. And and it, it was very dismissive. I mean, the optics of him dismissing, the gender optics were just concerning, especially since she is making arguments for her positions based on policies, policies and, and yes, ideas. Yeah, yeah. But he's just like, you're stupid. You're not smart. Um, and and it, was, it was just reminiscent of just so many ways he dismisses women, and particularly black women, quite frankly. If you look at how he's spoken about uh, Donna Brazile and Congresswoman Frederica Wilson and uh, Susan Rice and um, how he treats the mother, uh, the widow of the uh, soldier who died in Niger. It's, it's just it's just flippant in ways that he doesn't always um, attack white men who are even from his party, which is obviously not to say he does not, uh, that, that he refrains from attacking white men. Jeff Sessions will tell you himself. Um, <laughs> but but it was it was just really disappointing to many people, particularly if you study the history of IQ tests. And, and Trump has this fascination with IQ tests. Like, yeah. Remember, he yeah. said that he and Tillerson, Was it Tillerson? Tillerson. He wanted to have an IQ yeah. test. Oh, yeah. If he wants, you to, wants to remind you that he's smart, it's either... I'm good at IQ tests, and I went to Wharton. Um, and 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 I think many people in the policy making space think there takes a lot more to that than to make America great. What I see this morning, I think Maxine is calling him now Don the Con Man. I'll never forget. Right after it wasn't long after he he was sworn into office when you interviewed her, Bill. We went to her office, and Bill yeah. asked Bill your your first question to her was, "Have you ever seen a president like Donald Trump?" And her response was. I've never seen another human being like Donald <laughs> yeah, Trump. Right, right. <laughs> She's really good for one-liners. Her, her Twitter yeah. is, 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 I think, rivals Trump's, um, and, and it's more entertaining. Trump's is a little scary at times. Yeah. No, she's been— uh, That's I gotta so say, true. Uh, she's a good— Very well. I've known her for a long time. She was kind enough to write a blurb for— uh, Oh, nice. —for uh, my new book. Awesome. And uh, I'm a great admirer of hers. I— uh, uh, Maxine, my queen, we call her. Um, awesome. I uh, introduced her once at a uh, when I was running for office. She um, um, was kind enough to be the keynote speaker for this fundraising dinner. Oh, cool! And I introduced her as uh, Maxine Waters. She is hotter than high school love. That's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. So Everyone's cool. obviously looking at California right now, especially. Well, I know after those comments from Sessions about secession, and people are still looking at California because everyone wants to know what Kamala's going to do going forward. Um, well, they're looking at California today because, because Donald Trump, Trump is, there. is taking. Yes, yes. Now, I, I have to tell you, um, being California, 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 former Democratic chair of California, usually within a week of being sworn in, the president of the United States is in California. It's California. It's the largest state yeah. in the most populous state. Uh, Donald Trump has not been there. This will yeah. be the first visit. And he's going to a remote area of San Diego oh, County. Yeah. To see these phony panels that they put up, which are the prototypes for the wall, yeah, right, yeah, uh, you know, he—I know he's going to be met with a lot of uh, protests, protests, sure, right, yeah. Uh, well, and, you know, he had, he directed so much of his voting fraud allegations at California yeah. and repeatedly said that he would have won the popular vote had there not been so many illegal votes in California, which no one was able to prove. 
Um, And so it's kind of hard for to receive a warm welcome in a space when you talk about them like that. He is totally unwanted in California, even in Republican areas like Orange County. You know, they don't like Donald Trump anymore. Yeah. No, I mean, he's not doing well in the state at all. I mean, and uh, obviously the Republicans affiliated with him are paying attention to that. I saw that uh, Governor Jerry Brown um, Mm -hmm. yesterday suggested that maybe he should go up to the Central Valley. Uh, where they're building the new high-speed rail line down the middle of Central Valley, and they're building bridges um, across the highways okay. for this for this high-speed rail. Sure. And Jerry Brown said, you would see that we're busy building in California. We're building bridges, not walls. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's obviously this incredibly diverse state that's really face-to-face with a lot of the issues that um, America as a whole is dealing with, and they're trying to find solutions to these problems. I mean, even with the Schwarzenegger's lawsuit, that's about environmentalism, right, to some degree. And, oh, yeah. And, um, and, and the, Trump, the Trump's report card on environmental hasn't, hasn't been that, environmental policy hasn't been that high. You mean with Scott Pruitt in charge? Yeah, but of course his his uh, his uh, um, report card on education is going to be very high because we know Betsy DeVos is in charge. That interview, uh, like the more every time you watch it, it gets worse. Well, let's listen to a little bit of it. So this is Betsy DeVos, our education secretary, who sits down with Leslie Stahl, a great great person, great great career as a journalist, Leslie Stahl, and and, and still strong as ever on sixty Minutes, and she's quizzing. Uh, okay, you can now. Let's. Betsy DeVos. The only credential she might have at all is she has been involved in education in Michigan mm-hmm. only, and only for the purpose of undermining public education and trying to push charter schools and and take money away from public schools. So Leslie saw correctly asks her how are things going in Michigan. Here's this little exchange. Well, in places where there have been where there is a lot of choice that's been introduced, um, Florida, for example, the studies show that when there's a large number of students that opt to go to a different mm-hmm. school or different schools, the traditional public schools actually the results get better as well. Now, yeah, has that sure. happened in Michigan? Where in Michigan this is your home state? Michigan, yes. Well, there's lots of great options and choices for students here. Have the public schools in Michigan gotten better? Uh, I don't know. Overall, I I can't say overall that they have all gotten Mm -hmm. better. The whole state is not doing well. Well, there are certainly lots of pockets where the the, the students are doing well. But your argument that if you take funds away, uh, that the schools will get better is not working in Michigan, where you had a huge impact and influence over the direction of the school system here. I hesitate to talk about all schools in general, because schools are made up of individual students attending them. Um, I I mentioned earlier, your colleague, Dana Milbank, this morning says, yes, and brains are made up of individual brain cells, too. Right, right. Of which she's obviously missing a few. Uh, But it's pretty appalling. I mean, she has no idea what's happening in Michigan. Yeah, I mean, what would happen um, before you became Secretary of Education is you usually would perhaps be Michigan's Secretary of Education, and so you'd be able to spit this stuff out, or you'd have some level of um, inf- influence, maybe a superintendent of a school district, um, but that's not her background, and so oh. she she didn't have the familiarity, but I think what um, what's most alarming to people is that this, this was the type of interview we would have expected a year ago this time. Like, it's been 
13, 14 months? Like these are just these are really basic questions. How are Michigan's public schools doing that you have been involved in for decades now? And yeah, to prove her argument that the more money she's arguing that the more money you take away from public schools, the better they do. Right, right. And I mean, if that, that's is a, just, that is quite an argument. And if that is true, you should have receipts to prove that. And she seems to have none. And and it was alarming. And I was I was so confused with the I haven't unintentionally visited schools statement. Remember, she she Star asked her if she had visited these schools. Yeah. In fact, let's hear that. Where there. So you talk about the bad schools. Have you gone to any of these bad schools to see what's going on here? This is a little the shorter exchange. The public schools here are the, doing worse than they did. Michigan schools need to do better. There is no doubt about it. Have you seen the really bad schools? Maybe try to figure out what what they're doing. I have not. I have not. I have not intentionally visited schools that are underperforming. Maybe you should. Uh, maybe I should. Mm. I have not intentionally visited schools that were underperforming. And, and and so has she visited underperforming schools unintentionally? Like but that was the part that yeah. uh, like I couldn't figure out. Like like you could take that a couple of different ways. Like right. I have intentionally not visited these schools because right. they're underperforming. Right. Okay. Which make doesn't sure make that sense. don't send me to any schools right. that are underperforming. Right. 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 Or yeah. have I been at underperforming schools but been like, how did I get here? I wasn't planning to come here. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. But but what people's takeaway was was that you don't know what's happening with underperforming schools. And the reality is, if your job is to make underperforming schools better, what have you been doing for the past year? Yeah. I think the takeaway was that this woman doesn't have a clue about public education. Not yeah. Even now, and 14 months into the job, not a clue. And it's concerning, obviously, um, because large percentages of the American population are in public schools, especially from underrepresented communities and low-income communities. And if you're talking about uh, a presidency that's built on uh, empowering people economically, um, you would look at education. There are direct ties between how people do in the marketplace, obviously, and the education that they receive. And it wasn't that encouraging for a lot of people. I'll be surprised if um, she decides to stay for the entire administration. Or I'd be surprised if they keep her. But, um, you know... uh they're certainly not happy from what we understand with her interview. I don't understand where, why was there no prep? Well, I mean, I know the community, there, there's so many vacancies in this administration, but like, where was a fact sheet or a tip sheet? Like, I don't, like, start to hit her with these, like, gotcha no, questions. No, no, right. Yeah. There's so. things that she, that, that she should have known and been able to, been able to handle. But the one thing we can take comfort in, I guess, Eugene, is that uh, they are teaching abstinence-only education. They're they're certainly trying to. I mean, uh, <laughs> you would think that would start at the White House. Um, but, yeah, I mean, there definitely has been increased interest in abstinence-only education from— uh, I don't think abstinence-only— was one of Donald Trump's long suits when he was uh, as a student, right? I mean, <laughs> it, it, we, that's, he checked out of that class. He cut that class. According to the Stormy Daniels uh, <laughs> uh, side of the story. Yeah, I mean, you but know. It, it is ironic, right, that this White House, which is awash in sexual sex allegations. Handles, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's would be promoting abstinence only. Education. The only reason it's not that surprising is because he did win the socially conservative vote and uh, abstinence only education is a high value of social conservatives. But what is a little surprising is that we do have data coming out of the Obama administration showing how much 
how effective having a comprehensive sex education has been in not only decreasing uh, the number of teen pregnancies, decreasing teen pregnancies among people of color and people in low-income communities, which usually have higher rates of teen pregnancy, and as a whole, just decreasing the number of teens having sex, period. And so it turns out that once you teach more about sex and what can come from sex in terms of procreation, in terms of uh, infections, in terms of just the emotional consequences of getting involved in this physical activity earlier to kids, some kids will decide, I may want to put this off for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think uh, ultimately... Um, I I would argue that both administrations want fewer young people having sex before they're ready to have sex and getting pregnant because of it. But somehow social social conservatives in the Trump administration, and many of them, as I cited in my piece, are affiliated with organizations like the Family Research Council and more uh, conservative Christian uh, organizations, think that the best way to do that is to tell kids just don't have sex. But we don't have any data to support that. And we actually— But there is data, you say, to support that the comprehensive sex education programs— are effective. Yeah, absolutely. And there's data to support that there are communities that where we teach abstinence only that actually end up having higher pregnancy rates because these kids do not know how not to get pregnant. And so, I mean, it's a it, it's it's the it's unfortunate if ultimately the goal is to uh, keep teens from getting pregnant before they want to. What's your call on uh, Pennsylvania 18 today? It's so tight. Um, I think I think for me, what I'm paying attention to is the enthusiasm gap and more Democrats are uh, optimistic about coming out than conservatives. Um, But it it really is too close to call. What I'm paying a lot of attention to is I'm really interested in seeing how women will vote, Um, because at the rally, you know, Trump bragged about winning the women vote, which he didn't win. He won the white women's vote. Um, But uh, a lot has happened since 2016 regarding Trump and uh, his relationship with women and what's happening nationally with the Me Too movement um, and also what happened with the domestic abuse scandals with the S in the White House um, and uh, allegations or whatnot. And so seeing how women respond to this administration um, will be interesting. And you, you, regardless of it being obviously a House race, all of these races are about this, this administration. You're either voting for Trump's person or against Trump's person. Or for Trump or against Trump. Or right? Directly, yeah. I mean, we saw that in Alabama. When I was down there, people told me they didn't vote against Roy Moore or for Doug Jones. A lot of them voted against Donald Trump. Right. And yeah. so uh, it's, it's, th- this, there's so much riding on this uh, special election. It is, it, is, it is a referendum on Trump. Um, it's a referendum on the tax cuts to a certain extent. The right. Republicans have stopped talking about the tax cuts. They realized that that message was not working. Nobody yeah. believed them. Well, what was interesting is the approval ratings for the tax cut did go up. But what became clear is that the windfall that had been promised just wasn't happening at all. I was uh, I, I, I'm a fellow at the Georgetown Institute of Politics, and I was talking to my students last night. And these are students who don't have any income for the most part. And they were saying that like an extra Costco membership a year in, in funds is just insignificant. So imagine being a working mother. Um, and being told that, hey, you're doing better because we're giving you a couple extra dollars a week. Yeah, I forgot about that woman. Oh, yeah. That's the woman who said, right, she was... Yeah, Paul Ryan. Paul that, Ryan. That, that, that no, tweet. no, it was Paul Ryan, right? That'll yeah. pay for your Costco membership. Yeah, yeah. Well, she oh. said it would pay for a Costco oh, yeah. membership, and yeah, Paul Ryan Paul championed Ryan. it. Yeah, and yeah. I mean... I mean, yeah. They drop that like a hot potato. They should, yeah. and, and Costco's great, and great free memberships are great as well, but that's not what was promised. Yeah, mm-hmm. so... Yeah. Here we are. But it's interesting because that was going to be their 
silver bullet. Right, right. 2018 was going to be the tax cut legislation. That's why they jammed it through, saying the American people will see. And uh, uh, there's been just radio silence about the tax cuts in Pennsylvania. As a whole. And and, and when Trump constantly talks about how the economy has improved, that's what he was hoping to point to. And and he can't point to it the way he was hoping he would. So they'll have to go back and um, and run against Nancy Pelosi again. That's yeah. always, that's their fallback position. Right? Yeah, I mean, I, and and the thing is, no, pe- the voters on the ground in Pennsylvania, and I was in Pennsylvania uh, less than a month ago, are not as consumed with Nancy Pelosi as Donald Trump is. They're consumed with their day to day lives and seeing people make uh, cases that show how. Um, Trump and his administration and his ad- agenda will improve their lives. It's what concerns them most. All right. So much news going on. So Eugene much. Scott here with us from the Washington Post. We're going to have to bring in uh, some uh, you know, heavy hitter here. Another one, Andrew Desiderio from the Daily Beast uh, joins the conversation coming up next with all of you as well. And don't forget, your comments, welcome at any time on any issue at BP on at BP Show, Twitter, at BP Show. We'll be right back. Phil's Commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And the polls are already open in Pennsylvania's 18th Congressional District. Connor Lamb versus Republican Rick Saccone. It is uh, really Donald Trump on the line in Pennsylvania 18. So um, all you good uh, steelworkers and union workers and... Uh, Progressive Democrats get out and vote early and often for the right man, Connor Lamb, up in Pennsylvania 18. Hello, everybody. On this Tuesday, March 13, uh, the Bill Press Show, good to see you. And um, in addition to getting out and voting in Pennsylvania 18, one other thing you've got to do today, if you haven't already done so, here it is. My new book comes out a week from today, From the Left, Life in the Crossfire. A fun read about all the good times that I've had so far, uh, Democratic chair of California working for Jerry Brown and uh, hanging out with Barack Obama and Bill Clinton in the White House, uh, the White House briefings, helping get the Bernie Sanders campaign going. Uh, endorsements on it from Bernie Sanders and uh, Nancy Pelosi, Jerry Brown, Rosa DeLauro, Maxine Waters, and Jenk Uger from The Young Turks. Get your copy in advance. Uh, I've been signing boxes of them every day. Uh, to get out to you at go to billpressshow.com and click on the website. You get a special price of sixteen seventy nine, which is a 40% discount. So what a deal. From the left, life in the crossfire. Order your copy or copies today. Eugene Scott is with us from the Washington Post as a friend of Bill, and we're joined uh, from an, by another friend of Bill, uh, Andrew Desiderio from the Daily Beast. Andrew, how's it going? Not too bad. How about you? Eugene? I okay. am well. Welcome back. Glad All to right. be here. And uh, so much to talk about. Um, we kind of uh, buttoned up the show yesterday uh, at about 5 o'clock, as we do with our conference call, and we knew who the guests were going to be mm-hmm. and what the issues we were going to talk about. And then we turn around, and the House Intelligence Committee announces suddenly they're pulling the plug on their investigation where they say they found no evidence of collusion. Andrew. What's up? I think there look there are two main takeaways here. Number one is the fact that this report that's coming out <coughs> is apparently going to contest one of the main conclusions from the January 2017 intelligence community report on Russian meddling, which was that not only did Putin order this and that it was done to cause chaos in our election, but that it was done to help Donald Trump. Right? They direct are di- apparently directly challenging that point. Seventeen intelligence agencies agree on both of those points. 
that was apparently something that we thought was buttoned up and mm-hmm. everybody agreed yeah. on it, right? Yeah. But now you're opening up this whole new can of worms where we're apparently arguing over that again. Um, and the second main takeaway, I think, is that, um, you know, not only did Mike Conway, the the Republican who's running the Rus- Russian investigation, say that there was no evidence of collusion on the part of the Trump campaign in Russia. He said there was none on the part of the Clinton campaign in Russia, which was part of this big talking point that Donald Trump and his allies in the media have been pushing about, oh, well, it's not collusion with Donald Trump's campaign. It's collusion with Hillary Clinton's campaign, right? So if you buy what Mike mm-hmm. Conaway is saying about collusion, you also have to buy what he's saying about the other campaign as well because they reach the same conclusion apparently. Did we so, ever expect this, uh, Eugene, this committee to come up with anything? Um, not the Republicans on the committee. I mean, I think the Dems on the committee were definitely trying to look into this uh, at length and see what um, intelligence agencies were were finding and hopefully see what Mueller was continuing to look in himself. But I, I'm not surprised that conservatives on the committee uh, have pretty much taken Trump's line uh, regarding everything. One Republican who... Um thinks they should have ended the investigation, but for a different reason. Uh, Tom Rooney from Florida yesterday said uh, that it was a joke and we weren't getting anything done, so we might as well just uh, admit it and walk away. Here he is last night with Aaron Burnett on CNN. We've gone completely off the rails and now we're just basically a political forum for people to leak information uh, to drive the day's news. So we've lost all credibility and we're going to issue probably two different reports, unfortunately. So I, I mean, in that regard, I, that's why I called for the investigation. And yeah, so lost all credibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and the, the partisan sniping is what did it. I, I mean, I would say partisan sniping on both sides occurred uh, with this, you know, especially with the selective leaking of information, things like that, about what happened in the interviews. Um, and I also will mention that this investigation was never a criminal investigation, right? So when they say no evidence of collusion, you know, they've done their, apparently, we hope, done their due diligence in terms of asking all the witnesses their questions. Whether they answer them or not is an entirely different question, whether they should have asked for subpoenas, right? But it's worth mentioning that this was never a criminal investigation to begin with. So to entirely dismiss collusion and say, oh, this is the conclusion here. I think that's that's we're getting way ahead of ourselves. Well, Eugene, it was pointed out earlier that this committee has not has not questioned Paul Manafort, Rick Gates, George Papadopoulos, or Michael Flynn. Yeah, three of them have been pleaded guilty. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think what we're seeing. So it wasn't a very thorough search, I guess. For yeah, and it wasn't, be, and and they and they didn't provide clear examples as to or um, an explanation, should I say, as to why they did not dig as deeply as they perhaps could have, um, and the American people would have expected. I think what people realize is that the Republican Party is pretty much tied to Trump right now, and it is if if Trump struggles, I think the GOP realizes that they struggle as well. It's not. Like like Trump's going to get in trouble and many of these people will uh, be protected in, in future elections. And I think um, there was just a, a, a clear awareness that it's in our best interest if we want to maintain our seats and our influence and our power um, to not go against Trump, primarily because the majority of uh, Republicans, the majority of conservatives do not believe that uh, what they, they agree with Donald Trump in terms of how um, this investigation has been handled. They believe the bias. They believe that collusion didn't happen. And so if they want to keep these voters, they have to stay with them. So what happens to the Senate investigation? Well, that's the only bipartisan one left, I guess, right? Whether this House Intel one ended last night or not, everybody was sort of uh, waiting for the the true bipartisan report to come out of the Senate Intel Committee. 
Um, Senator Burr has said recently that they are not really advancing on on the issue of collusion. Last time they did an update, a press conference a few months ago, they said that that was the sort of the big lingering question for them to investigate. They're not in any rush to wrap this up, and that's mainly because Senator Warner and Senator Burr atop the Senate Intelligence Committee are actually working very, very well together. And the committee as a whole, the staffs on both sides are cooperating with each other. Um, And I think that one's going to be a much more thorough investigation that people are going to put more stock in than whatever the House Intelligence Committee says, Republicans or Democrats. And meanwhile, Robert Mueller, right, just continues doing his job. Yeah. 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 And it's really sad that this obviously has become so partisan because this really is about Russia against America. Totally. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, you, I, you would think that all Americans who who and our CIA director has said and, and our uh, director of national uh, intelligence has said Russia is on track to interfere in future elections in the United States. Mm-hmm. And so you would think we would want to stay on top of that, regardless of your political party. And not only that, the NSA director Rogers, I believe at that same hearing, said basically mm-hmm. that the U.S. government has many tools available to counter Russian election meddling, whether it's sanctions, whether it's other means uh, that are necessary to do this. But we're just not doing enough. And that hearing that coming from the NSA director um, and, and saying that the president hasn't ordered him to launch a counter cyber mm-hmm. attack mm-hmm. against the origins of the these hacking operations in Russia. You know, that's something that we should put a lot of stock in, I think, and, and listen to what he's saying. Right. Um, I think today uh, is the one month anniversary of the tragedy at uh, Stone Mountain High School in Parkland, Florida. Um, and uh, Sunday, we got the White House's response after this great big meeting down at the White House. We're going to do all this stuff. We're even going to tackle the NRA. I'm not afraid to take on the NRA. And what the White House came up with is basically nothing. A blue ribbon committee headed by Education Secretary Betsy DeVos. We know how much that's going to get done. And some little tinkering with uh, background checks. But yesterday at the briefing, um, Sarah Huckabee Sanders says, no, 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 we are not backing down. He hasn't um, backed away from these things at all. As I just said, they're still outlined in the plan, but he can't make them happen with a broad stroke of the pen. And so she says that uh, by 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 not taking on the NRA on any issue at all, which he promised to do, that this really amounts to, she calls it, bold leadership. That actually seems smart, and it seems like bold leadership to me to push through on things that help protect kids while not ignoring some other policies that the president supports, which we're doing. He caved in. I think um, what everyone needs to remember, regardless of what the president says about the NRA, is that the NRA is an organization that endorsed Trump in the primary Mm -hmm. and spent at least $30 million trying to make sure Hillary Clinton did not win. Um, and so that has to shape everything. It does, uh, tweets don't matter. You're scared of the NRA. I mean, the reality is Trump is in the White House in part because of the support of the NRA and its members. And I think we should expect his policy proposals to reflect that. And this episode only affirms the power that the NRA still has in American politics. If anybody doubted that after the Parkland shooting or any other shooting that the NRA's power would wane, They were sorely mistaken. And and that's why you saw even after Trump suggested, you know, doing away with due process and just grabbing the guns, something that the NRA would have condemned any Democratic president for saying or Democratic candidate for saying they weren't really as forceful in condemning President Trump for it because they knew, you know, especially after the president met with Chris Cox and Wayne LaPierre from the NRA, they knew that he would re-edge on that. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, And Congress 
I mean, Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell, they would just, they don't want to touch this with a 10-foot pole, right? Well, even the the one piece of legislation that the NRA endorses, which is the Fix Next bill, which would uh, enhance the national instant criminal background check system that the FBI runs, even that isn't getting off the ground. It has 64 co-sponsors, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because even the Democrats who are co-sponsoring are saying this is not enough. They worry that once, you know, once they pass Fix Next, which it would pass if they if it went up for a vote, they're worried that if it did pass, um, that Republicans would not allow any more votes on more pieces of gun legislation. So mm-hmm. Democrats are trying to decide here whether they want to, you know, go all in and say, you know, it's either fix nicks or nothing, or it's nothing or things broader than fix nicks that can't pass the Senate. Right. Yeah. Hey guys, I hate to interrupt, but this is a Bill Press show. Breaking news update. Breaking news update. According to the Washington Post, uh, Donald Trump ousts Rex Tillerson at the Secretary uh, Secretary of State will replace him with Secretary uh, or CIA Chief Mike Pompeo. So Rex Holy. Tillerson is gone from the State Department. <laughs> Mike Pompeo will be taking over. Wow. Oh my goodness. Wow. Uh, breaking news. I've got to tell you, you cannot, as we said earlier, number one, you can't keep up with it. All right. Number it's not two, even uh, Zach Beecham was in in the first half hour of the show, and we talked about how long Rex Tillerson would be there, mm-hmm. and Zach was saying, you don't know, but, it, you know, he, he could be gone any minute. Little did we know. Little did we know. It was about half an hour. Is, is he half, still abroad, or is he back in the States yet? Uh, he was in Africa last I saw, yeah. as of yesterday. So he, it sounds like he didn't even give him a chance to uh, retire or resign. Yeah, which which I mean, is not. Um, he, he's back. Norm, right? By the way, he's back. He got okay. back yesterday. He cut his trip oh, to Africa short and came back. Hmm. I wonder if hmm. that has anything to do. If wait, like the, is, was he fired or was uh, or did he uh, resign? Says right, he Trump, 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 Trump. I'm reading directly from the yeah. Washington Post. Trump last Friday asked <laughs> Tillerson to step aside, and the embattled top diplomat cut short his trip to Africa on Monday and returned to Washington. Uh, President, President Trump, this is uh, jumping back to the first paragraph. President Trump has ousted Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, replaced with Mike Pompeo, orchestrating a major change to his national security team amid de- delicate uh, negotiations with North Korea. Right. So the White House uh, confirmed it today. Apparently, Trump told him on Friday. Okay. So- uh, I just want to point out that um, uh, CNN headline is President Trump fires Rex Tillerson, uh, MSNBC. Mike Pompeo will become new Secretary of State, quoting Trump. And Fox News is talking about Rick Saccon and uh, why he's probably going to win in Pennsylvania 18. Of course. Just to put things in perspective there. Well, Fox is uh, on the Fox. So um, what is, uh, what's your immediate take on this? No surprise, I guess. I, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean I, surprised that the way it was handled, for sure. I feel um, like especially on the heels of last night where Tillerson very forcefully condemned Russia for this attack and, and backed the UK and kind of upended the White House the message. Attack on, yeah, I'm sorry, on yeah. English soil. Yeah, where the White House refused. They said we condemn any violence or something like that, but they refused to name. It wasn't Russia. a forceful they, statement. No, they refused to condemn Russia for it. Uh, again, you know, mm-hmm. he's never said anything critical about Vladimir Putin at all. Uh, on, in the wake of Theresa May saying Russia did this and we demand an explanation from Vladimir Putin in 24 hours or else. Mm-hmm. And Tillerson, what did he do? Well, he issued a statement that was much more forceful and backed up the UK even more and said that Russia's irresponsible behavior is acting a force of 
instability all over the world and things like that, right? That we usually hear from the State Department when it comes from when it comes to these types of incidents. Um, that's language we did not hear from the White House. By the way, really quickly, Donald Trump uh, just tweeted about this as well. Uh, Mike Pompeo, director of the CIA, will become a new Secretary of State. He did a fantastic job. Thank you to Rex Tillerson for his service. The new CIA director will be Gina Haspel, the first woman to be chosen. Congratulations to all. Now, there were reports last year that Tom Cotton might take over the CIA. Yeah. Apparently mm-hmm. those right. are not, that's not going to happen, at least for now. I have uh, no idea who Gina Caspell is. Gina Haspel. Yeah. Haspel, anybody? She, she was, was his deputy, right? Deputy, yeah. yeah. She was a deputy mm-hmm. at, uh, at the CIA, so yep. she's going to move up into that, into that role. Yeah, I think my initial response was uh, surprised that it was Pompeo. Um, I and for that's f- been rumored too for yeah, some time. But. Yeah, but I think um, so. If, if the argument is that uh, some of the challenges that Trump has had with Tillerson have been that um, there's been great disagreement and that Tillerson has been too establishment in his thinking, uh, Pompeo is one of the people who disagrees uh, with Trump regarding Russia in terms of its involvement in the election and other issues as well. And so um, you know, and, and Pompeo. I mean, came it's it's more establishment than Trump, um, even though he definitely got to Congress from like Tea Party support in Kansas and whatnot. But it'll be interesting to see um, how these two work together and and what it, what it is that Trump wants to do globally, um, and if he's going to be able to find a Secretary of State to support that. Another well, thing I want to mention here, real quick, is just you know the the view from Capitol Hill and initial thought. Um, the leaders of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee and the House Foreign Affairs Committee have really enjoyed the working relationship they've had with Tillerson. Um, there have been a couple of hiccups, especially with the implementation of the sanctions legislation. But overall, they've really enjoyed working with Tillerson. And I wonder how this is going to change now with uh, Pompeo elevated to that role. Well, um, think about this, too. Uh, in uh, I just wrote a piece for NBC on about this. I'm going to have to update as soon as the show is over. About um, this just adds to the serious problem of turnover in this mm-hmm. in this Trump White House. I mean, um, it was as as of last weekend, 43 percent of his top right. picks have been either fired or have left in 14 months. Mm-hmm. But you think about it, it it's. One cabinet secretary, for sure, um, one acting attorney general, a chief of staff, a national security advisor, um, five communications directors, Mm. now the secretary of state. I mean, and maybe he's been trying to get rid of his attorney general, but even the ones who've left, it's stunning Mm -hmm. that, that, that it's like. You can't get anybody to work for this guy. The turnover rate is yeah. coming in. He he says everybody wants to work. I know. He said that the last t- week. It's right. the top 10 best candidates for every open position. Um, this is what he said. But the reality is that it definitely impacts what they are able to do. I mean, the reality is yeah. that there's been a lot of attention paid to this White House about how absent they have been in policy related to Africa compared to Obama, compared to George W. Bush in terms of uh, HIV and AIDS, um, poverty, um, and economic investment. And so the optics of cutting short your trip to Africa um, to fire someone and install somebody who's probably going to have a completely new vision of your the foreign policy between it's a statement and it's and it's an important statement especially related to national security because um, anyone following politics in Africa knows that uh, uh, Islamic terrorists have been making gains in terms of influence in the region and and whether or not um, the this Trump White House has a vision that is going to be um, more. Global 
global and addressing these issues that's not just so partisan. I think it's of concern to many people around the world. Uh, and several have pointed out that another area where we are lacking uh, is in here we are talking about the, a summit. Either It's either going to be nuclear war or nuclear summit with Kim Jong-un. And yet we have no ambassador to South Korea, not because it hasn't been confirmed, because Donald Trump has not appointed one. We have no assistant secretary of state for East Asian affairs who would be in charge of this region. And our liaison to North Korea resigned a couple of weeks ago, and Mm -hmm. Donald Trump has appointed nobody else. So we're empty-handed there except for Trump. Plus the major shakeup now. And now Tillerson was out of the picture anyhow, right? Yeah. Yeah. But Tillerson has never really— I don't think Trump has ever really seen Rex Tillerson as a secretary of state or given him the ability to even do his, do that job. He hasn't included him in many major decision makings or meetings. Or- Actually, they've yeah, there's that. And they have publicly disagreed on how to approach different topics around the world. Right. I remember I think it was in September or October. I guess time is a flat circle right now. But, you know, the president was tweeting that Rex was naive or something like that in thinking that we could talk to North Korea, right, which is what he was pushing for, right? Right. So now we kind of finally got to this point where it's possible, and, you know, the president is apparently going back on his word. But, um, you know, they have – I guess it's not – we shouldn't treat it as normal that a a president would so – overtly call out one of his cabinet secretaries in the same way he calls out Jeff Sessions and other people. Um, So it's just, it's pretty wild. Uh, I was just trying to remember, I know we can't use the exact phrase on the air, uh, what Rex Tillerson called Donald Trump to. Uh, and he didn't deny it, remember? Yeah, he would Peter, always get was, upset with the media for asking the question. Was it effing <gasps> idiot? No, it was moron. 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 Yeah, it moron. challenged him to an IQ test. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have an IQ that's, test that's with right. him. That's right. We talked about it. Yeah, yeah. What, what I saw Tillerson <laughs> and Trump most consistently on the same page about was their dislike of the media. Um, and their and their frustration about the media's role in communicating to the American public how difficult of a time the Trump administration was having mm-hmm. in carrying out the president's agenda. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens moving forward now with Pompeo in that position. Right. Uh, but it is considered the secretary of state the senior position after vice president. Yeah. In any administration. And again, I don't think it's not been considered that way in this administration. Mm-hmm. But normally and the is. top diplomat as we head into these you know, big North Korea um, negotiations. I think Pompeo was on, on a couple of Sunday shows this past he Sunday. He was, yeah. Um, you know, and now this is kind of making sense. So, you, you know that Trump put him out there just to see how well he did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, regarding the secretary of state position, this is some a position that Trump has been very aware of the (laughs) optics of it and what it communicated to the world about his administration, which supposedly is in part why he wanted Mitt Romney to do it. Mitt Romney looks like a global statesman. Um, And so I think he um, is just very aware of what um, how how people will see his administration, because globally, all the polling suggests that we we just don't have the standing that we used to under um, Trump's presidency. So once again, Donald Trump knew that we might be talking about Stormy Daniels this morning, so he decided he had to change the subject. <laughs> He's always playing 3D chess, isn't he? <laughs> That's it, right. That's his style, huh? <laughs> oh, man. What's, it, 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 this is the, the, what, what we just experienced here just represents the whole news cycle 
since Trump has been in the White House. Yeah, the the big House Intelligence Committee wrap-up and report that we were just talking about, right? In any normal administration, that would be, you know, that would have a shelf life of probably at least two days, right? Yeah, and now it's yeah. been 12 hours and we're out the door. It is it is not 9 a.m. yet on the East Coast. <laughs> like, literally, like, think about that. There are people who aren't at work yet, and we've talked about so much since 5 p.m. And we've night. got a long day ahead of us oh, now, yeah. don't we? Yeah, literally, my, my editor has been texting me throughout this. Yeah, just so. tell her to relax. You I know, told her I'll be there a... soon. Yeah. yeah. Right. I'm working. No, there are people not up on the East Coast and and a lot of people not up on the West oh, yeah. Coast. And already we've been through two news cycles. Yeah, yeah. seriously. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So It's insane. It just, has been. Just slow down. Right? Yeah. It's, 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 it's going to be a crazy day on the Hill again. And I, and I think people, I think we really have well, to think about what impact this has on, on voters and the public. Yeah. I mean, because this is newsy to us, but there are people behind all of these policy decisions. And by the way, this, who knows, but I mean, this is going to hit Pennsylvania 18. People are going to the polls, they're driving to the polls, they're standing in line right now, and they're getting they're getting this news as well. Now, what do they say? Again, White House out of control or a president who takes charge? Well, because the relationship between uh, global trade and international relations is obviously a close one. And so showing some type of upheaval in your top diplomat definitely impacts a district that is very mindful of what impact of, trade of can trade have deals. on their economy. Yeah. yeah. Right. I just uh, saw yeah. a tweet from a reporter. We just got off the plane with Tillerson less than four hours ago. There was zero indication on the flight home that this was imminent. Oh, my God. Holy cow, man. Yeah, that must have been a nice flight home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Welcome yeah. back, Mr. Secretary. Uh, Mr. Uh, former Secretary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can take a cab because the car is no longer available. All right. Hey, man. Andrew, great to see you. Thanks great for coming you. in. Thank All you. right. Eugene, oh, great to be with you. Have a great day, folks. Show. See you tomorrow. <laughs> One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.